You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm Gugu Mbatha-Raw, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Tessa Thompson, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, guys, I'm John Boyega, and you're now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Enjoy. My name is Parisa Fatemli, and I play Fiji Kavanaugh on Midnight Texas. You are now listening to those Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Joy Bryant, and I'm a Black Girl Nerd, and you are listening to Black Girl Nerds podcast. I'm Marcus Scribner from Blackish, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds. Hey, how you doing? It's Stefan James, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. tuning in to episode 150 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Life Itself and our TIFF Recap. Two fun segments. Our very first segment features the film composer behind the movie Life Itself, which is currently in theaters nationwide everywhere. Film composer Frederico Husi took the time to talk to me about his work on the film, on the pre-production phase, the production phase, and the post-production phase. Myself and the managing editor of Black Girl Nerds, Janita Davis, talk about the Toronto International Film Festival. And we go in on everything from the best films at the festival to the not so good films at the festival. And then we also give some tips and tricks for all of you newcomers and first timers that plan to check out the festival next year. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 150, Life Itself and our TIFF Recap. Enjoy. Originally from Argentina, Federico is best known for scoring The Secret in Their Eyes, which he won the Best Music Award from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences of Argentina. He also recently scored the Spanish drama Loving Pablo, starring Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. In 2016, Federico was recognized as Composer of the Year by the Spanish Music Critics Association, and he has won five IFMCA awards for his music on the Spanish historical fiction series Isabel and Carlos Rey Emperador. And just a quick production note at the top of the interview when I introduced Federico, I stated that Dan Fogelman is the producer, he's actually the director of life itself and I later on correct myself in the latter part of the interview but just FYI Dan Fogelman is the director of life itself (laughs) 
Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. As you know, one of the biggest film festivals in the world is happening very, very soon. We're actually recording this on the eve of the Toronto International Film Festival. And I am so incredibly excited to be going out there once again and with our team to cover some of the best films and entertainment. And I had a chance to check out one of the movies uh, before its premiere. And I actually have the film's composer. There's a new film that has just been released. Uh, Dan Fogelman is the producer. You probably know his work from the NBC series, This Is Us. Uh, The name of the movie is called Life Itself with an all-star cast. And I'm really honored and excited to speak to the film composer of that film, um, Federico Husid, who's here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast with us. Federico, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Hopefully I did not slaughter your last name. (laughs) No, it sounded perfect. It sounded fantastic. My my dad doesn't pronounce it better than you, so it's really great. (laughs) That's funny. Um, So first of all, I got to ask, have you been to TIFF before? And are there any movies playing that you're interested in checking out? Actually, I haven't been to TIFF before. And it's a shame because I've had... I have had quite a quite a lot of films uh, where I participated uh, showing in the festival, but here's my first time, and life itself it's a wonderful excuse uh, to visit the festival. You are going to have a really great time, I have to say. It, it for me, it's my second year, so I'm still a newbie, but um, it's it's a beautiful festival, a lot of great people, and. One thing I will make sure I do, which I didn't do last year, was um, go to get some poutine. Have you had that before? No. Okay. Well, apparently it's it's the thing to have when you're in Canada. It's fries with gravy poured on top of it. I don't know if you're like a health nut or not, but... Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> not. I, I spent some time in LA, but not enough. I still keep my Spanish uh, spirit. <laughs> so I'm not, not that healthy. Definitely check out some patine fries while we're in TIFF. You know, I want to talk to you about your work in uh, music, and you've composed music since you were a child. When did you know that music was something that you felt would be your lifelong passion? Well, it it, it happened in in such a natural way as I was growing up. Um, there was a piano in my house. My mom uh, used to play a little bit. And and I would be banging on the piano since I, you know, since I can remember since I was four or five. And then they sent me to a teacher, and they sent me to a teacher not pushing me in or trying to make me become, you know, a musician. Uh, it was it was a fantastic experience because he would make me not only learn, you know, of course how to read and and how to play, but also it became a very ludicrous, a very joyful thing to to play, to improvise. He made me play different instruments. So it was a very natural thing. And and eventually when I was 11, you know, and that had been playing the piano for already like five years, I remember I said to my mom, well, I want to change my teacher. And my mom worried because she liked the idea that, you know, I would be a musician. Uh, you know, she thought I wanted to either to quit or something. And I said, I, I wanted, um, I remember that conversation. I, I want to go to more, um, more demanding teacher. 
because uh, I want to I want to be more serious with this. So it it was something like really natural, and probably at that age, like I realized that that I wanted to do it, you know, more for, more for real. And and it was very fortunate because I remember, you know, getting out of of high school, and most of my schoolmates were in that super difficult stage of having to decide. Uh, you know, which career to pursue, which university to go to. And and I, I knew it already. And I had, in fact, I had been working with music since I attended school. In high school, I would be always, you know, doing little gigs here and there or playing little concerts. So it was a very natural thing. Was there a particular instrument that drew you as a child? Well, mostly the piano. Mostly the piano. As I, as I said, there was a piano in the house. My mom used to play. And although my my first teacher encouraged me to at least have the experience of, of playing guitar and flute, and I remember even cello for, for some time, but it was more for the sake of experiencing the different um, ways to producing sound. But I always, I always was very connected to the piano and not only because I love, you know, the piano repertoire because I was playing back then, you know, Beethoven and Mozart and all the wonderful, you know, classic composers, but also because the piano was a, it's a, it's a fantastic medium to, to compose and to improvise. It's a great, it's a great lab. So that was, that had been always my, my thing. Do you think that, um, or for you, I should ask, did film at all shape how you composed music? Were you influenced through film or was it something where, you know, you were influenced by different types of mediums of, of music or if it was just something that came naturally for you and then you just happened to go into the film world when you were starting out? Uh, well, I think it's a great question because um, I have developed like a kind of a parallel career in in writing for in writing on one hand for the, for films and and on the other hand for for the concert hall which is just music you know like pure music not attached to to a, to a, you know to a dramatic structure like a film is um, but for some reason i have to say and this is something that has happened to me uh, it's been happening to me lately in the you know in the past probably 10 years or 7 years that somehow my concert music is getting more influenced by by my other activity by 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 film scoring and i don't mean this um i don't mean this as 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 if my my concert music would sound like a film score or, or would sound like, you know, like an underscore to a scene. But yes, because I became somehow more dependent and probably more, more interested also um, on, on, on a dramatic structure outside music itself uh, of a dramatic structure that can be, uh, a poem that can be a theatrical situation. For instance, one of the pieces that I'm, you know, very fortunate 
to to have performed very often it's a it's my two piano concerto for it's it's to be on two pianos and orchestra piece and that piece has a kind of a histrionic part or theatrical part where the two soloists the two pianists that are the you know the main instruments in the piece have to perform a little bit of a drama uh a little bit of a quarrel of a struggle and um and 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 that theatrical idea helped me to complete the piece and also this year i i got a commission from the modern uh modern art museum in 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 spain uh the reina sofia museum and again i ended up writing about uh, well, a certain text of, of Jacques Lacan, the psychoanalyst. So what I mean by this is that probably after so many years of writing for a scene that brings a particular structure and architecture, uh, perhaps I became dependent of it, or I became enraged by it, if you will. So somehow, yes, <laughs> to, to answer your question, yes, I probably i am influenced by it. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I mean, I just sometimes think about movie scores and uh, it it reminds me so much of the films that I watched as a child. Like one particular movie score that resonates with me the most that I just find myself randomly humming is the score to Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And and it's just interesting how scores can really just indelibly be printed in our minds and, and we can hum them the way we would just hum you know, a, a regular song from a pop star. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And that's the power of music that, you know, whereas a great scene, of course, you, you understand it and you, and it, it can, it can, you know, can, it can accompany you for years, but there's something about music and there's something about great music that just goes straight to the core without, without you knowing it. And that's the, the power. And that's also the manipulation of underscoring a film that you can, kind of access the you know emotional core of the audience in such a in such a quick way <laughs> and subreptitious way also because you don't necessarily realize that there's music sounding and, and you get so affected by it. Well speaking of emotional core, the film life itself is very emotional. It's a very deep drama about all of these interconnected stories. Those of you that are listening, if you've ever watch the series this is us it's like this is us on steroids um (laughs) (laughs) it it, it will make its debut at tiff and it's going to go into theaters nationwide on september 21st um i i wanted to know from you can you share with us what kind of collaborative experiences that you had in making the project did you work very closely with dan fogelman who um produced this or directed this film and how much autonomy did you have in the musical cue selections? Well, first of all, um, I was I was very lucky in all this journey because, well, first of, to begin with, I was very lucky to to be invited on, on board of this wonderful film that everyone can see in September twenty um, first. And second, I was very lucky because, as you know, very often in 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 the process of editing a film, the director or the editor or the music editor would bring up music 
to cut the film. You know, we have like something that we call temp music, which is temporary music to to edit the film until a composer is invited to the to to to, to score the film, and so that music gets replaced. But that temporary music very very often uh, starts uh, marking a direction and starts marking a, a tone and starts defining a tempo, a pace. And I was so fortunate that the film uh, in the early stages of, 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 of the editing um, had been tempted with my own music from other films. Uh, so when I finally met Dan and we got together at the, at the cutting room at the Abbey and watched the film, I was, you know, very surprised to hear other scores that I had done for other films that were used as temporary scores for, for, for life itself. So uh, Dan knew what he wanted and somehow all those pieces were showing uh, an intention. And then, of course, uh, you know, you have your ideas and you can bring up uh, different ideas. And sometimes you, you and, and for this, Dan was absolutely open and generous and I, and I think intelligent to, to make room for, for new approaches. Because, you know, sometimes as a composer, you can see um, a scene where that, that probably doesn't have music that could, you know, get enriched by score or the other way around you can see uh, a, a way to start in a scene that you know you could you could find a different place a different spot of the scene to jump in with music and 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 then uh, was fantastic for that it was very open and we kind of opened that lab to to experience and to move things around so yes i i did work uh very closely with with him and i i think he's very hands-on in all the all the different uh stages and and, and processes of his work and in this is us i think it's probably the same thing uh that's why he's a guy it's a very busy guy because it's really you know taking part in every in every bit of the construction yeah, I mean, what's really beautiful about musical scoring is it really enhances a scene. So if there's a very dramatic scene where there's a love scene or if a character dies, if it wasn't for the music, you wouldn't be riddled with so much emotion at that moment. So I wanted to know, you know, talk to us a little bit about the musical cues when scoring a film. Is it a process that's done during the pre-production phase or the post-production phase? Well, uh, that that depends on the composer and on the director. For instance, I I try like say that I'm starting to work with the director that I had worked before, and just kind of we developed, you know, a, a collaboration. I try to to start um, as early as I can, or as early as I'm allowed to, um, scoring ideas or writing little pieces to the script. Um, because 
I find that although it's a lot more work for me, it's a lot more you know effortful. Um, then I find that that music, if it's if it's the right music and if 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 the director likes you know the approach and and the idea, can eventually become a more um, structural part of the film or of the scene or of the editing. Uh, and we were talking about the core before. It becomes more naturally part of the core because that piece, it's taken as another constructive element in the same way that a performance of an actor is, in the same way that a certain scenography is. Um, as opposed to scoring uh, to scoring a scene that it's already finished and it's locked, where music can, of course, en enhance and, 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 you know, stress or, or deepen or alter, but somehow cannot affect uh, structurally so much what's happening. I find that if the director knows the composer or, or is able to meet the composer before he's shooting, he or she will be definitely affected by the music that will sound. Even if, even if the music then is, of course, changed or rescored, but knowing when you're shooting a scene or when you're rehearsing a scene, knowing that you will have a certain um, tone or a certain motif or a certain orchestration has to affect the way you proceed with the other elements. And I find that directors should, should not get, you know, should not uh, turn down that possibility of having that huge uh, resource that, that is the music. And, and I witness wonderful things regarding this. You know, I witness uh, rehearsals with actors that were using my 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 very early pieces you know perhaps just uh sketched on on the piano perhaps only with piano only with a few instruments and the director will use them as a way to define the the tone of a scene so an actor would understand or or a director that would play music as they were moving the camera to kind of set the timing of a traveling of a of a moving camera so it's it's very interesting what you can do with music at that stage. That's that's interesting because I I always imagine a lot of film sets where you know they're just it's just the camera, the actors, and the director. They're blocking their scenes, but you're saying that with this particular film that they actually played the musical store score during the scenes, or they would use it to prep for the scenes. They, they would use it for, for instance, at, 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 at the rehearsals of the scene. To, because the director knew perfectly well that he would want a certain piece uh, um, for a scene, so he would play, he would perform to the actors, so they would understand the the pace or the intensity or the dramatic structure. And and then I've I've witnessed uh, sets where the director would play my mock-ups on set to kind of give a pace of the moving camera of the actors of the, you know, because it, it is another element. So for me, uh, adding music so late 
in the process, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And, 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 you know, Maestro John Williams does it. And if he does it so well, if it's, it's okay to do it, of course, but it's more, to me, it's more, um, I don't, I don't see why directors deprive themselves from knowing something about this creature that is music in their film uh, early on so they can interact with with this creature uh in the in the in the earlier processes of the film and not just adding this whipped cream or that sherry uh to the, on the top of a cake that it's already kind of shaped and baked to bring a, a food metaphor to it yeah <laughs> No, that's good. It's it's ingrained as an, an ingredient, and it's a very important ingredient in the overall design of 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 the cake and of this of this particular film. Because, like I said before, the music really does help, you know, enhance and bring emotion as you're watching one scene to the next. Um, and and I was curious to know as well with respect to This Is Us, did Dan Fogelman at all? Have you watched episodes of the show or did you decide to watch them on your own as a way to do some research? Well, I, I knew about the show, of course, because it's, it's huge, it's big, um, but I'm always late. I'm always, I'm always running behind all the shows. All my friends go, oh, have you watched the last season of such and such show? So I, and I'm, all, I'm always a couple of years behind, um, except when there's something uh, that, becomes relative or becomes uh, a reference to to what I'm doing so I jumped to that and and this was the case I I uh you know I got a I got a call from the music supervisor uh of of life itself so I went to to watch the show right away to understand more of the of the artist that I would be working with and to understand his his tone and his his way of shooting his language and as you said, yes, it is. A, it is. It, this is Sass on steroids. It's. Uh, it has the that tone uh, that it's apparently very laid back and very informal because that's that's something that he manages so so greatly. Uh, Dan, you know, sets all the stories in a in an everything but a bombastic tone. Everything is very informal. Everything is very laid back and very natural. And all of a sudden, terrible things happen. Yeah. But never with a, you know, never with any hint of solemnity, in, and that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 like the music is a character of its own in the film. Absolutely, yeah, that was the idea. <laughs> that was the idea, <laughs> at least. <laughs> Were you responsible for the music being used in the film outside of the score? Like, there's a moment in the film where there's a costume party scene between Will and Abby, and they're dressed as the characters from Pulp Fiction. And there's actual music that's played that was actually in the very scene um, from Pulp Fiction as the characters that they're dressed as. So were you responsible for that part? Well, not not for that one uh, precisely. I think that was in 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 dance uh, in dance mind from from probably from since he started writing the film. But I I I got involved in. In some of the arrangements of the of the of the pop music included in the film, in fact, one of one of the first one of my first assign assignments as a as a composer in this film was to write a set of arrangements of the Bob Dylan uh, 
Make You Feel My Love song, which, as you know, it becomes almost like an, like another character in the film. That song recurs, and it's quoted, and, and, and of course there's a character on the film that it's named after Bob Dylan. Uh, so that song becomes another leitmotiv of the film, and it does appear in its original original form, but it also appears as almost as underscore. So I had to uh, write different arrangements of the song based on different characters, or different situations, or different scenarios of the film. Well, I'm glad that you brought up Bob Dylan because Bob Dylan plays a significant role in the lives of these characters. Is there a musical artist that's had an impact on your life the way Bob Dylan did in this movie? Uh, yes. Uh, it's more in, in the classical world, and it's timely to say now because it's Leonard Bernstein. That was my hero. That's my personal hero. Um, and, and and just a few few weeks ago, he he, he was the anniversary, the hundred year anniversary of his uh, the day he was born. And and yes, he had a huge impact uh, on me because not only he was a great um, conductor and, and pianist and composer and teacher and communicator, but he when I was when I was very young, I. You know, as all teenagers that need to worry and get anguished about things, I one of my concerns was uh, I was very much in love with classical music and I was performing, starting to perform concerts and writing string quartets and, you know, going that academic uh, road. But at the same time, I, I like to write for films and I, I, I would also write for a jazz band or for a big band or I, I would be interested in in like many different fields and when you're trying to define when you're when you're that young and you're trying to define yourself as a, as a musician you know and and see well which way you're going to go and and to 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 which to which idol or to which composer or to which performer do you want to you know do, do you want to resemble or do you want to aim um and it was a conflict for me because I, I liked so many different things and I was doing so many different things. Uh, but then uh, knowing the work of Leonard Bernstein, it was, it, was, it was very liberating for me because there I had a wonderful and, of course, incredibly talented musician that would jump from a Broadway show to film scoring to writing symphonies and to conducting the most beautiful Mahler. So there you go. <laughs> well, one last question. You've scored so many films. Is there one that's resonated with you the most and why? Uh, well, I think, to be honest, I, I, I don't listen very often to my music. I, I finish a film and, and I, I, I don't go back to it. I, I, I give birth to to those creatures, and many many years after, you know, after I finished, and then I run to the film, and I'm so happy to watch the film and to and to appreciate the work that I've done. But I'm, I'm not um, very self critical, so I, I 
usually suffer when I go back to listen to to the work I do. So, uh, but I have to say, I have to say that having worked uh, on the secret in their eyes, it 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 did change um, the my career a lot. It did help uh, a lot of my 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 possibilities. So I I have that I hold that film very dear. Thank you so much, Federico, for talking to us. Life Itself will be in theaters nationwide September 21st and will also be making its premiere over at TIFF. Thank you so much. This is great talking with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Our next segment is all about the Toronto International Film Festival, featuring yours truly and managing editor Janita Davis. Today we are doing a special episode, a recap of the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, Janita, our managing editor, and I went to this great festival, which I'm a big fan of. This will be my second year. This was Janita's first year. And we had a really cool opportunity to see some new films, interview some cool celebrities, even kind of hit up a couple parties and uh, had a good time there. So we're going to talk to you a little bit about some of the highlights of TIFF and some of the things that, you know, were a little bit of a doozy for us. Uh, Janita, thanks so much for chatting with us today about this. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and hey, Jamie. Um, yeah, it was indeed a, a very, very um, overwhelming experience, but it was really fun. So it was my first TIFF. So there was yeah, <laughs> and for Janita, it would be overwhelming too because this is your first like film festival. You've never done any film festivals prior to TIFF, so you were completely right. Um, usually, I'm on the ground um, writing, and I mean, like at home behind a computer writing. This is my first time on the ground at the festival. You know, seeing stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was quite an experience. Yeah. So let's go into TIFF for us. There was a lot of films this year, as there is every year at TIFF. But I think this was a very special year, too, because there was a lot of good, diverse films. There were a number of films featuring Black, black women filmmakers. I want to point that out because... Right off the top of my head, there was Amasante's film, Where Hands Touch. There was Stella Maggie's film, The Weeknd. There's a short mm-hmm. film that I reviewed on Black Girl Nerds called Feathers by A.B. Rockwell. Um, Rafiki, I think it's a film based in Nigeria. There's a, a Black woman filmmaker that made that. And um, Lionheart is another film with a Black female uh, fem- female filmmaker. I don't know why I can't talk. <laughs> and then the film that you reviewed, uh, Janita Quincy, uh, the co-director on that yes. was Rashida Jones. So very diverse selection of films and filmmakers. And I was really excited about that. What would you say, Janita, was your favorite film coming out of TIFF this year? Or if there's more than one? Um, well, um, hands down, my favorite. Um, I have to go with um, The Buzz as... Um, a Star is Born. Everything that I have to tell you guys, everything you've heard about it, 
it's true it's a good movie it is a really good movie um so just the music and the just the storytelling i'm a storytelling nerd and i just love the way the story came together with the camera um the way the camera angles zoomed in and out at the right moment and the the music was timed very well and just everything was just so deliberate just to make sure the story came out just right so that was that was my favorite that was my number one by far for the the, the whole festival so. i i agree it's the same thing for me a star is born blew me away i came in with semi you know mediocre expectations because you know how hollywood loves to gas up films so i was already kind of coming in there with uh thinking that this is going to be super overrated and it blew me away from lady gaga's performance to bradley cooper like i really felt like bradley cooper just killed it in this role and I did not know that he took singing lessons to do this. His voice was magnificent. And uh, I I really feel like this is one of those films that people will be talking about for a very long time. And when it comes out nationally, I plan on going to see it again because that's how good A Star is Born was for me. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go see it again. And um, I got a chance to sit down with uh, Bradley Cooper and... Lady Gaga and um, Sam Elliott and Anthony Ramos, they're all in the movie. And he he said he had voice lessons um, to learn to um, sing. And um, he had to learn how to play the guitar. And um, he kind of came at this, you know, trying to, to really get into that role. Actually, all of them did. Um, so they really put a lot into it. It was really, it was really interesting. Um, and I'm definitely, like I said, I'm definitely going to go see it. And I'm going to urge everyone else to see it and buy the soundtrack. Yes. The song. Yeah, right. definitely. I feel like this is going to be one of those films that will get nominated for everything. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But mm-hmm. the songs in the movie are just remarkable. So Stars Born, hands down. Um, also, I really enjoyed fahrenheit 11.9 that was the michael moore documentary and i know that he gets a lot of flack for his work as sort of an infotainer um mockumentary filmmaker if you will but he he really you know was snatching some edges in this one there was no sides taken you know he's known as this bleeding heart liberal uh, that's anti-Republican, anti-right-wing, but he took to task both parties in saying that they were culpable in electing Donald Trump. And there was even a moment where he took down Barack Obama in it. And um, it, it, it was warranted, I have to say. So I, I really appreciated his honesty and his candor there about just the political process and how we're just in this sort of capitalist society where political parties focus on the almighty dollar instead of the American people. And that's how Trump got to be who he is. And uh, it's a really um, thought provoking film and that's going to be coming out in theaters very soon. So um, it's definitely something worth checking out. And uh, in my opinion, next to Roger and me, it's one of his best documentaries to date. Yeah, that one's definitely, I didn't, I didn't watch it with you, but um, that one, I've heard you talking about it and I've heard other people saying similar things about it, about how great it was and how um, balanced it was um, for one of his films. And so I really want to see it. Um, It's on my list. Yes, absolutely. So 
What were any films that you did not like at TIFF? Was there a film that you were just like, this is trash. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell oh, with this goodness. movie. Yeah. You heard me go on and on about this one. Um, it's a documentary and I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not trashing documentaries. I love documentaries, but this documentary mm-hmm. seemed to be proud that it was one and I wanted to let everybody know that it was artsy and it was like really doing something, but we didn't know what it was doing. I was called Monrovia, Indiana. Um, it's ta- it was talking about um, something really important about how small towns get in the way of their success. That was supposed to be the point. And, and, you know, it really didn't come home much at all. As a matter of fact, the thing was boring. It was so boring that the people, half the people left the theater, like within the first quarter of the movie and the people that were left, most of them were sleeping. (laughs) I'm not, not kidding. Um, I I took out my computer and started typing. It was bad. (laughs) I mean, so it was like one of these that didn't have, um, the, the, you know, the documentary didn't have narration. Um, so we get three minutes of looking at, you know, cow snot in the back of pigs. And we don't know why. And then it goes to a field with a tractor in it. And we don't know why. And then we get old guys in a dang coffee shop, you know, talking about knee replacement or some kind of surgery they've had. And we don't know why. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it was really, it was not good. It was not good. I mean, you kind of eventually get the message. You get to know what it is. I mean, but yeah, it was, it was bad. Mm, mm, I'm glad I didn't mm. see that one. Um, for me, this is a film that actually has gotten a lot of critical acclaim, but I guess I'm in the minority. I really did not like Nicole Kidman's Destroyer. Now, I will say Nicole Kidman's performance, she plays this cop that um, has gone through a lot of post-traumatic stress. Her and her boyfriend, played by Sebastian Stan, they um, work for the FBI and they do like an undercover thing where there's a bank robbery and they're they're undercover and the bank robbery goes bad. And um, she's dealing with a lot of trauma that happened as a result of that robbery. I'm trying not to talk too much about it because huge spoilers but um her performance was great like she completely does you know this full-on like kind of like the way Charlize Theron was in Monster like or she looks completely different um nothing like you've seen Nicole Kidman in a film before she's perpetually intoxicated throughout the whole entire film and and she does a very great job of her performance but the film itself is one of those films that just take a while to get to the point. And then by the time the plot twist happened, I didn't care anymore because it was just that boring. And like Janita, like you said, with Monrovia, Indiana, people were actually walking out of the theater a little early. I don't know if it was because they had somewhere else to go or if they were bored. Um, but yeah, it it just, it, it was not good. I mean, so far, I think it's, it's rated fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, really? but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, but for me, I, I couldn't deal with it. It kind of reminded me, which interestingly enough, this film got rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. But last year at TIFF, there was a movie called Roman J. Israel by Denzel Mm -hmm. Washington. And that was another movie where it was a kind of movie that just didn't know what it wanted to be. There was just so much going on that you were like, what am I watching? What kind of movie Mm -hmm. is this supposed to be? And Denzel's performance itself was stellar. 
Like he did a fantastic job, so much so that he ended up getting a Academy Award nomination. And that may happen with Nicole Kidman's performance because it's getting yeah. a lot of buzz, but it was just not a good movie. So, you know, it's one of those movies where it's like great performer. Yeah, that's what I, I heard a lot of people talking about. Whenever you m- mentioned Destroyer at, at at TIFF, it was, well, Nicole Kidman was great. She's going to win awards for her thing. And they will go on and on and on about her performance. And then, you know, when you get to the, okay, how was the movie? Meh. <laughs> or, <laughs> right. or, yeah, it's not so good. Or they didn't like it. There's like several different things, but they everybody gushes about her performance you know and the the rest of the movie was yeah. like yeah yeah so yeah it just it wasn't good i mean there was a few more bad movies also white boy rick with matthew mcconaughey um it was just one of those movies where it just didn't have any kind of charisma it didn't have any panache to it the lead actor i don't know his name but he's you know a newcomer he did a great job in his performance, but he just wasn't just wasn't that interesting. You know, he, he wasn't compelling enough to where I cared about his story. I cared about what happened to him or what happened to his family members and people in his inner circle. Like it just wasn't that great. So that one has gotten a pretty uh, rotten <laughs> rating um, so far. But yeah, I just yeah, I couldn't get that into White Boy Rick either. That- there's so much in the, the in the story that he that the character I thought could have latched onto, but kind of yeah, it would have been better served if it was an actual documentary because it's based on the real life of of this guy, which now I've forgotten the name because I've pretty much put that movie <laughs> out of my head at this point. But <laughs> but it's based on a true story, and I think the film would have been better served if it was done mm-hmm. in a documentary format than trying to um, do an adaptation with celebrities and, and just kind of ruining the, uh, the, the crux of this story, which was so compelling, but it was just sort of masked with all of these mediocre performances. Mm, glad I missed so. that one. Um, so um, I, I really, the rest of my list was pretty, was pretty good. I mean, I didn't really have, I had the one dud, um on my list and that was about it i pretty much liked mine i I watched the hate you give which i thought was amazing and great um it was a great retelling of the black american family in a way you've never seen it before um that's why in my review i said buy huxtables i mean we're we're now looking at a more realistic view of what a black dad is supposed to be in the family dynamic is supposed to be and um in that and I know people are going in thinking, oh, it's, you know, a film about, you know, the, the about the police shootings. Well, that's that's a part of it. But it that's a part of a lot of different things that kind of build up and, you know, um, lead to the pressure on this family. And um, so that was a really good one. And we saw Widows together. Um, what'd you think of that one? What'd you think of that one first? What yes. Else? Yes. No, I wasn't as blown away as I thought I was going to be. That was one where I had high expectations because friends of mine in the film community were telling me how great it was. And of course, Viola Davis, she could do no wrong in my eyes. So I figured, mm-hmm. okay, she's headlining a movie. It's going to be good. It's It wasn't a bad film. I just expected more. Um, the second yeah. act is way better than the first act. So 
it's one of those films where it takes a while for the story to get there. And then once that second act hits, which is mm-hmm. where there's a huge major plot twist, then I literally like woke up and, um, and I wasn't falling asleep, but I, you know, I just kind of, my senses kind of uh, were enhanced and I really paid attention to what was happening with the details of the film um, in that second act. Um, and then it got better. And, and then I enjoyed the film for what it was, but yeah, you know, it, it took and a while for it. To I get myself, there. I, I find that with um, Gillian Flynn um, books and movies is, you know, she's great at the plot twist. Uh, excellent plot twist. Um, but it's just building up to it. I mean, she just really doesn't have the the chops for, fill, you know, filling in the rest of the stuff. You know, getting that background information, laying that, you know, kind of that whole first act, it was, you know, laying down all that background information and it just kind of dragged on and on and on. And, you know, there are better ways to do it. And I've just found that with, you know, a lot of the books. And I know people are going to come at me because she's got a lot of friends, uh, fans out there. But I just I find that problem with her books and movies. It's just the plot twists are good, but there's nothing else. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, the performances were mm-hmm. stellar, and I, I really enjoyed these women and seeing them together doing their thing um, with no criminal experience. Um, but yeah, it just it just took a while to get there. Um, but I think yeah. most, for the most part, people will enjoy Widows. It's yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I it's one it's one to go see. So. It's not one that's going to be you know you're going to be sleeping <laughs> through it. No, um, there's a lot going on, so people like it. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So we had a lot of moments where we geeked out at Toronto, um, at the festival. Cause listen, this festival is inundated with celebrities. They're all over the place. So Janita, what was your moment that you just sort of geeked out? And it doesn't necessarily have to be meeting a celebrity, but what was the moment where you were just like, I can't believe this is happening right now. Not a moment you were meeting a celebrity. (laughs) Um, you're funny. Um, so Tiff, <laughs> and when you're um, when when we're the journalists and we're interviewing people, and you know, um, it's just when you, it's just hard to kind of push that fan back. I know for me, um, because I've always talked to them on the phone, <laughs> um, and you know, this year I started doing the you know the in, in the interviews in person, and so my first geek out moment was um, with Russell Hornsby, and actually when we introduced ourselves, I'm like I, I said. I can't believe I'm meeting Hank from Grimm from Grimm. And he started laughing and I, I couldn't believe that came out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that was like my very first geek out moment, probably my most embarrassing. Um, and then I just, I geeked out with um, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper um, because I mean, he's a storyteller nerd too. Um, so once that, you know, was established, it's like, okay, we can talk stories, but there were, it was a round table. There are other people and, you know, I couldn't, I, I only got one question in, so there went that, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, those were a couple and, um, well, the picture, well, oh, I have, I have to tell You'll this learn. one too, because, <laughs> um, one of your friends, one of someone who really knows Jamie, um, and black girl nerds, we've interviewed him before, um, is Taika Watiti, and he's, he came up and put his arm around Jamie and we took pictures and he was so fun. And, um, that was just very shocking to me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you're the director of Thor. Um, and, and you've got your arm around me and taking a picture and you're talking to us and 
director, the director of Thor. <laughs> and he kissed me on cheek. Yes. Like, he, he wrapped did. his arms around me and then kissed and I, me. I was like, oh. Uh, he had a few pranks yes. in him, but uh, <laughs> he was he was super friendly. And, and he, he remembered Black Girl Nerds because we um, I interviewed him at Comic Con a couple of years ago to yeah. He was promoting. Just, I mean, Ragnarok, that just kept going so. through my head. Yeah. Is do you realize who you yeah. are? <laughs> While you're hanging, and he photobombed us later. Remember? Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> we were taking. We were- Totally did at a different party because we met him at one party <laughs> and then we went to a second party and then he was there and we took a photo there. They had a photo booth at this party yeah. and then he just went into the photograph with us. Yeah, you have to and see it. it. You have fantastic. to see it. He it's was, on the Insta, the so Black Girl Nerds and funny. Page, and it so. just, you know, I just kept thinking that. And oh, OK, so Hank from Grimm was not my most embarrassing um, moment. Um, why did I forget this? I don't know how I forgot this, but. <laughs> Um, so we saw Melissa McCarthy. I'm a big Melissa McCarthy fan. Um, my daughter and I, me and my daughter and I go and watch her movies when we they come out, one. even the bad ones. And <laughs> um, I, I just think she's hilarious. And, and I just really loved, uh, you know, her comedy. And so we saw her and I kept saying, you know, I want to go say hi to her. And um, finally got up the nerve and did it and walked up to her. And she just was so upbeat and nice and happy and she knew black girl nerds and she so she i got a picture with her and a hug and um she was saying how great we our work is and we keep we need to keep doing what we're doing and i i was still a ball of nerves in um very awkward i'm a true nerd in person if you all out in the audience have ever met me jamie met me for the first time um the, the uh, toronto weekend i'm a true nerd and what do nerds do when we get nervous we flee <laughs> so i could have had a whole conversation with melissa mccarthy but i just said thank you and then i walked back to the table where jamie was um <laughs> so <laughs> no that was okay i, I should have been it. there with you i needed to get it out of my system and have I, I, that experience totally would- i just Wish that, you know, it wasn't with, you know, uh, someone like Melissa McCarthy because, you know, um, I, it would have been great to, to talk to her more. I mean, she really loves what we do here at Black Girl Nerds. And that was really, really amazing to hear, you know. Um, so, yeah, that was my and I, I came back to the table. I think I was t- shaking a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's always comforting to know when there's celebrities that look at your work, they see this platform, they see the work that we're doing, and they get really excited about it. I know recently, this is outside of our TIFF recap, but recently you had a chance to interview Jamie Lee Curtis for Halloween, and she read your article on Black Girl Nerds. So um, it's always great that these these celebrities and and these really important people read our content, because that's why we're here, is just to create really great um, content, reviews, and have a platform for Black women journalists to get their voices heard um, and seen. So um, mm-hmm. it's it's so comforting to hear someone like Melissa McCarthy of her ilk to just be like, keep doing what you're doing. Um, that's awesome. 
So for me, my my geeked out mm-hmm. moment, <laughs> you would have thought I met Prince. Like <laughs> it was it was crazy. So I had the chance to do a junket for the Amazon series that's going to be coming up called Homecoming. And if you don't know anything about Homecoming, it's based on a podcast of the same name by Gimlet Media. I actually listened to the podcast when it first started because I love Gimlet Media's content. And um, when I found out that there was going to be a series based off of it, I was all over it. And I was so excited um, that I got the invite to cover the junket. So the series is produced, executive produced by Sam Esmail. You don't know who Sam Esmail is. He is the TV showrunner of this little show that I'm a little kind of obsessed about called Mr. Robot. So um, I had a chance to interview him and oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I was fumbling over my words. I, I was the most nervous interviewing him than I've ever interviewed anybody else. And listen, guys, y'all know I've interviewed Idris Elba. I've interviewed Lupita Nyong'o. I've I've interviewed all of these celebrities over the years. And somehow or another, uh, Sam Esmail just got to me. And I just think it's because of the fact that I'm such a super fan of Mr. Robot. I'm so amazed by his genius and his creativity that I could not believe that I was in the same room with him. And, and kind of going back to our conversation that you had with Melissa McCarthy and, and celebrities acknowledging our platform, Sam totally knows about black girl nerds. He was just as excited to meet oh, me. Great. He was like, Oh, it's you black girl nerds. Of course I know about you, you know, because we've been tweeting um, the dat bot hashtag on Twitter during all of the seasons of the series. So, and y'all know BD Wong is, is a bit of a fan of mine. Um, so some of the cast know about our platform and, and Sam knew about it too. So he was, he was just as excited to meet me. And uh, I, I did my best to get through the interview. The one thing I forgot to do, which I usually always ask when I do interviews is to give an ID for the show. Cause I had a one-on-one with him. This wasn't like a round table situation. I had 20 minutes by myself <laughs> with Sam, which is rare for us journalists, right? We don't get those opportunities yes. often. Um, so right. I forgot to ask an ID for the podcast, but um, still, nonetheless, got a chance to interview him. That interview will be coming out later uh, towards the release of the series, but uh, it, it was it was just absolutely fun and a blast and. And I'm glad that I had a chance to to meet him. And I did take a photo with him. So you can also check that out on the Black Girl Nerds Instagram. But that was my huge geeked out moment. I'm just I'm just surprised at how starstruck I got. Like it I've never been that like blah, 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 you know. <laughs> and like messing up things. Like I think and I have to cut this out of the interview. I'll say it here, but I'm gonna cut it out of the podcast. Um there was a moment where I said, So what was it like? doing directing as opposed to being an executive producer for this series. And he's like, I've directed every episode of Mr. Robot. I was like, Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, how can I not know that I live tweet the show every week? How can I not connect that? But again, I think it was my nerves getting the best of me. And um, the fact that I was running out of questions and just shocked that I was given as much time as I was given to talk to him. So, um, so yeah, that was my, big geek out moment for toronto well that was that was amazing that was surprising for me too um the the moments they were we were given were with the celebrities 
um we're given like um 20 minutes um i know my um interview with russell hornsby stretched out like longer than that um much longer and it was like we were i was in a room and it was just me and him and and you know we were just kind of just talking about the movie i didn't feel like an interview was great um that was kind of a new experience for me um usually there's like a whole bunch of people around and maybe it's a round table or you know we're sitting and there's cameras or something but no it was just you know hank from grim and a cross table for me and a recorder <laughs> and that was it <laughs> so yeah so it was great it was great yeah it was a good time so getting around toronto was a bit of a challenge <laughs> um well, let's talk about that experience i'll i'll start off by saying listen okay i am not in the best shape uh i i don't do a lot of walking i live in a suburban town where we drive everywhere even if it's right up the block you take your car and you go up the block um so this was a bit of a challenge walking around toronto but what was it like for you janita when you were going to this festival for the first time and trying to get around to the different theaters well i i knew okay so i'm not in the best shape either but you know i do bike um every once in a while during the summer i take walks to with the kids from time to time you know um i didn't think i was that bad <laughs> until um and i told you this i got off the train and i was going to our airbnb and um it was um the main street young street and i was just walking it it looked like a straight street i was walking it there was like it was not very far away i think it was a mile or so i'm like i've done a mile that's no problem. And about three blocks in, I'm getting tired. My, my breathing's heavy. My legs are on fire. My calves. I'm like, what is going on? I'm usually not. So I think maybe it's my suitcase, the backpack I've got on. And I'm, I keep going. I I almost call, uh, called an Uber like a block from the, the <laughs> where we were because I was about to drop... <laughs> And, and I know what by the time I got to the apartment, I was sweating so hard and I was just so tired. And but I finally looked back when I got, you know, um, most of the way to the Airbnb. I looked back and I, I realized that the street was uphill, but it was at a, such a slow grade. The grade was not a very steep that you don't that I didn't notice it walking. I had looked back and, and saw how downhill it was. I'm like, it's like somebody was cranking up the treadmill, like little by little, every couple of seconds <laughs> and not telling me. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like my most challenging moment. Um, just walking that street. Um, and I, I'm like, I refused to walk it back again. I, and I didn't, I, I, um, I would walk there. I mean, downhill, but not up that hill no more. Um, but I, but taking Uber, we took Ubers yeah, everywhere. You had to. I mean, you had to if you're going to make your time, get there on time. You know, wherever we needed to go, you had to take an Uber. Had to. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it depends on the person. First of all, if you're someone that is used to walking, if you live in a walking city, then Toronto will be a cakewalk for you. Um, I personally. Yeah, I, I personally, and I'm just like this in every city that I go to, I Uber it everywhere. I'm just, me and Uber, we're 
best friends. Um, so that's what I did. Luckily, where we stayed was like within walking distance from the Ryerson Theater. And a lot of the movies that um, I watched were in that theater. So that was really cool to just like literally walk across the street and then go in there mm-hmm. and then go back home. Um, but I think the challenging thing for me was not going to the different screenings, but picking up tickets to go to the premieres. Because for us, um, yes. just to kind of briefly explain to you, so you get a credential for a press pass, and that takes you into any of the press and industry screenings. So as long as you have a press badge, you can get to any screening that's for P&Is, press and industry. Um, however, they do afford some outlets premiere tickets. And um, in order for you to get a premiere ticket, you have to go to the studio publicist that's at a specific hotel in the area and pick up that ticket so you can go to the premiere. So right. I and actually attended. Hotels. Yeah, I, I, pretty much most of the films, except for one, um, Stars Born, all of the movies I saw were premieres. So I was like going to this hotel to pick up a ticket, that hotel. And it, you know, mm-hmm. these hotels are like, miles apart from each other it's crazy so Mm -hmm. yeah I found and then you had a window of time to work with with picking up the ticket so um yeah I was ubering it for that reason to get from one to the other but then in some circumstances the uber was counterintuitive because the every road was like blocked off and by time the uber gets to you it would have taken just as long for you to walk there so um in some cases I was just like, all right, I guess I'm just going to have to foot it and just deal with, you know, the walking. But, um, yeah, you just have to kind of prepare yourself uh, physically (laughs) for the walking. But it's not bad. It's just, you know, for people like me, I'm just, you know, for you listeners out there that's like, I don't do walking. (laughs) Um, It it can be a bit of a challenge. And you can use an Uber, but Mm -hmm. it may not always be reliable because those streets are blocked off a lot of the time. Right. Listen, if you're not the type of person that works out every day, walks every day, not from a walking city, bring plenty of cash for Ubers. I just, that's all I got to say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or keep um, that PayPal account um, on point for your Uber. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they do have cabs as well. Like if you don't do Uber, they have cabs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely do good. that. Now I do have, I did have a great experience with an Uber. Um, I got an upgrade. One of my Ubers. It was a Tesla. I rode in a Tesla. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was like, my, it was like the greatest. Um, I, I was like sitting in it and I'm like, this is what everybody's talking about. It was like the most high tech car I've ever seen. And the doors opened up like the DeLorean doors. Wow. Um, so I took a picture of it. I'll, 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 I'll send it to you so you can stay, put it on the Instagram page, Jamie. It, it was amazing. And it was just one of those days where it was just busy and Uber's like, you get an upgrade. So I'm like, okay. Nice. That <laughs> yeah, has never it, happened to me. Oh my gosh. It, I, I've been my first Uber. time. Wow. Yes. First time. So, so yeah. So you but, never know if you get a tiff, you may get mm-hmm. that upgrade. Yes. Uh, so um let's talk about buzz that's happening right now because award season is you know on its way up we're Mm -hmm. approaching that time where we're going to be talking about 
the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the Golden Globe Awards, and then the Academy Awards. And already there's some films that have come out of TIFF that's gotten some buzz. So one of the films that I know for certain is going to get nominated for Best Picture, I am claiming it right now in the name of Jesus, uh, (laughs) is A Star is Born. Like A Star is Born is going to get Best Picture, Best Actor for Bradley Cooper, Best Actress for Lady Gaga, Best Song. Yes. Um, What song that's going to be, I don't know, but it will get a Best Song nomination um, and Best Director for Bradley Cooper. Mm -hmm. Hands down. Yeah. Any song yeah. in the movie, it doesn't matter what song they pick to submit, any song, it'll it'll win. Any but song. I think it'll be Shallows, um, the one that's in the trailer that everybody's seen, yeah. and the one that they yeah. played a lot in the in the film. But the one that um I liked one the the ones that they played in the tra- in the in the credits. Okay, so when you see this movie, there's another tip. You have to stick around for the credits because they play other songs that she's that she's gonna put out. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> But yeah, you're right. Hands down. down. Yeah. So definitely that. Now there was a film that we did not get to see at TIFF because we had a very short run at TIFF. Uh, We left a little bit earlier than when the festival ends. So we did miss some films. And one of the films we missed, which I'm really sad about, is the film Green Book by Universal Pictures. It stars Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen Mm -hmm. um, based off of the true story of green book traveling i guess back in the day when there was like yeah. a travel route for black entertainers um i'm not so, entertainers it was it was families oh see this one hurt my heart because i i've studied <laughs> i i know the green book you know about this history. history yeah, yeah. I really yeah. Got my feelings when i found out when we got the schedule and found out we were going to be leaving um, yeah, yeah. So we missed out on that. But that's gotten a lot of buzz. It actually won the audience award for TIFF. Uh, so it's their big award that they mm-hmm. give out each year. And um, that's right now being talked about for Best Picture, Green Book, and possibly, um, I don't know, it, it could be a it could be between Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor for Mahershala Ali. Um and then also Vigo Morganson for Best Actor. So we'll see how they do the category for that. Because I'm told that both of their roles are pretty significant. Um, but they may do something where they give Mahershala the Best Supporting Actor just to make it, I guess, an easier fight for him. I don't, I don't know. Th- these are conversations I have with film critic people. So, <laughs> um, But we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, either way, it's it's one of the films that people have been buzzing about that will get awards. Um, I think mm-hmm. even though I did not like the movie, I think Nicole Kidman's performance in The Destroyer may earn her an Academy Award nomination. And I say that to say it reminds me a lot of what Roman J. Israel was at TIFF last year. Film was bad. It, critics, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much ran it through the ground. Um, but Denzel Washington did a great job and he was a standout performer and he still got an Oscar nomination. So, you know, if they campaign it right, mm-hmm. I think it's an Annapurna film. If they if they campaign it along the trail um, and get Nicole out there, Nicole is a favorite. I mean, you know, she's she. Yeah, she she's, a darling she's a darling to, to the yeah. Academy. I, I think that she's going to likely earn a nomination for that performance yeah at least at least um what about the first man that's another one that i'm hearing that has buzz you I watched did. that one um, didn't you first man was actually 
pretty good. Uh, there were moments where it was a little slow. You know, it, it, it is a space movie. If you watch space movies, sometimes that can be the case when they're just sort of dangling in the air and you just, it's just silence and, and the stars <laughs> and the universe. But it was a beautiful film to watch. And what was really great that Universal Pictures did for the press was um, during the premiere, they actually held it in the Cinesphere. And it's this dome-shaped building. It looks like Epcot Center. Um, and we watched it on IMAX and Damien Chazelle was there to present the film. The son, um, sons rather of Neil Armstrong were there. So it was great to, um, you know, see them there watching the film along with us. Um, but also just to see it on IMAX and it was beautifully, it is, it was shot. Some scenes were shot in IMAX and it was beautifully done. I, I really loved seeing those moments where, you know, Neil steps on the moon and, and they're gliding through space. Um, Ryan Gosling's performance wasn't something that was like groundbreaking for me. I actually thought Corey Stoll, who plays Buzz Aldrin, was more of an interesting character that had a little bit more charisma um, and style to his role uh, than than Gosling did. But um, it overall, it's a solid film. And yeah, I mean, Damien Chazelle is a favorite as well. Damien, you know, from La La Land. Uh, so it's likely that First Man will get a Best Picture nomination and maybe Damien may even get the, the Best Director nomination. Yeah, nomination. I don't see him beating Cooper. No, no, I, um, I will. I will riot. <laughs> Yes, man, man, they will have to fight me because I'm I'm rooting for Stars Born, um, but yeah, um, and we of course know, of both, course we know this is outside of TIFF, but Black Panther will get nominated for Best Picture. Come, we know that. Okay, you said will or it, it will it 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 better will. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> it better. Um, yeah, um, definitely. Um, some of the ones that, you know, people are, I, I keep getting asked about, um, other movies uh, like, um, Predator and I'm like, oh, that was really? Trash. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. I'm like, it's not going to, nobody, nobody at the Academy won't, will know what no. it, that is. Okay? Some, wait, somebody actually with a straight face said that Predator might get an Academy Award nomination? Well, they asked me, you know, would it, you know, is it, you know, good enough for something like that? I'm like, no, they hadn't seen the movie. Oh yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, it, like, it's true. No, it's not a good. I mean, it's already out, so you can see it, but it's not. Mm. Don't waste. Money. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you can read Janita's review on blackgirlnerds.com to get some perspective of what about and what our thoughts are. Yeah. yeah, it was trash. But that was that was the one award question I got that was totally off the wall. I'm like, are you serious? But anyway, um, so any others? Do any other contenders? Have you, have you seen any other contenders? What about Bill Street? So I have mixed feelings on Bill Street. I know you did the review and you gave it a glowing review yeah. and it was beautiful. I'm glad that you wrote it. Um, I don't know. I I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. Um, it, it was a bit of a slow burn for me, and I don't know what it is about some of these movies at TIFF this year were just kind of slow to get to the point. Um, and, and I liked your review because you say that this is a movie about time and maybe that's what I was missing when I saw it, that it's not about, you know, certain plot points and dramatic climaxes and moments of action, that it's just about this stretching and elongating, you know, measurement of time. 
and that that's yeah. the motif of the film. Um, so yeah, in that respect, it, it makes me understand and, and, and frankly respect the film a little bit more seeing it from that point of view. But yeah, I just, um, it, it was, it was a bit slow for me. The performances were okay. There weren't any like, wow, this is just a performance that I think is going to get merited for an Oscar. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't see it as like another moonlight for Barry Jenkins. I, I just think that this is a beautiful film. I think a lot of people will talk about it. Will it get enough buzz to get an award? I don't know. I, I, I honestly can't say. I hope so. I mean, I, I think it's it's a great film, but for me personally, I, I don't I don't see it as it just didn't grab me the way it did everybody else. I wish it did, but it, it just it didn't. Well, I have to preface this by saying I'm I'm a James Baldwin fan fan and and I've already said I'm a story nerd. So, um when I saw the pieces kind of fall together, um just kind of really going at this um this time, um I really thought that was a brilliant approach. Um I think it's going to get some nominations. I think that, you know, Stefan James may even see one. Mm. Um, I, I really think he could because um, there are a couple of times that he's just really kind of leaned into his, his role a little bit, um, a little bit more than some of the others on the cast. Um, I mean, Kiki was really good, but I think he was a lot, you know, a lot better. And he was the strongest one of the whole um of, of the ensemble i think and please don't i'm not trashing our regina i love her to death but um i just think that stefan kind of leaned in a little bit better than um than the rest of the ca- the cast did and i and i see some nominations for maybe him and and for the picture because it was it was beautifully done i thought and i love the picture <laughs> i love the story i thought it was great um, <laughs> so I think this is where we depart is, is on this film right here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I really like it's, it might sound very weird me saying this. I want this to get a lot of awards. I want it to win. I just personally didn't feel as invested in this film as everybody else does. Um, mm-hmm. so, and I personally think Stefan James did a way better job in homecoming, uh, cause he's also in that series, um, as well. Uh, than than this than Bill Street if Bill Street could talk but um, but yeah you know listen hopefully I'm in the minority because you know we need more films like Bill Street um, to be yeah. made in Hollywood so it's it's really important it just yeah. didn't it didn't grab me the way it did everybody else so maybe I need to give it a second look yeah Jamie go see it again <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, So let's wrap this up. I I wanted to kind of briefly talk about people that may be interested in going to TIFF that has never been before. If this is your first time um, maybe planning to go to TIFF next year in 2019, you know, they recently opened it up where uh, diverse critics can apply for credentials and to get access to the festival, which is remarkable because our voices are needed and in a lot of these, you know, films, these films are eventually on the path and on the road to coveted awards seasons like the Oscars and the Golden Globes and such. So, you know, your voice matters. Um, so, yes, if you're interested in going to TIFF, let's give some advice. First of all, 
wear shoes that are comfortable. Yes. Because you're going to do a lot of walking. Yes. When I interviewed Cameron Bailey, he was not lying when he said that. Um, comfy shoes. I mean, and you're going to want to wear something cute to the parties and to the, right. you know, put it in your bag. Okay. Put the heels in your bag. That's what I do. And um, wear something comfy. I had my Converse on the whole weekend <laughs> um, because uh, I, whatever your go-to shoe is, put it on. I don't care if it doesn't match the outfit. You need it to walk back and forth or wherever, and you can put the heels on or whatever for the interview or for the party. Um, but yeah, comfy shoes and, and a backpack, a backpack. Um, I think Jamie, you told me a backpack would be a good idea. And I went ahead and just packed just a computer bag and, yes. you know, they went over my shoulder and then my shoulder was killing me about halfway through. And I ended up having to pay an exorbitant amount of money for a good backpack. Um, at one of the tourist shops, but you know, and I kind of regret not bringing mine, but um, get a backpack for all your. Yeah. I, I always, you know, when I go to these film festivals and conventions, I always try to get a backpack that is like a good utility backpack. Yeah. You can go to, I would recommend going to like um, an outdoor sports type store to get a good utility backpack that's got several different compartments where you can put your water, where you can put snacks, uh, where you have a place to put your computer um, because, you know, you're probably going to be out and about for a really long time and you're going to different places doing different things and you want to make sure you have everything with you, especially uh, hydrating yourself and having snacks along the way because you may be catching two or three movies or four Mm -hmm in a day and you may not have time to stop and eat Mm -hmm. so you want to have and it's not some of the theaters do come with concessions actually i believe all of them come with concessions but nope they're not cheap Mm -hmm. um and actually no the the ryerson did not have a concession yeah you're right um scotia bank i think is which is where the pni screenings are they have a concession and they have like a nice little cafe area but yeah, some of them don't have concessions. So you want to pack, you know, yourself some snack bars, a sandwich or whatever. So that way, you know, you have some strength and yes. you do not pass away, pass away. Well, we don't want you to pass away, um, but you don't pass out from exhaustion. So, yeah, definitely do that and plan your schedule ahead of time. Mm-hmm. That's the greatest advice I could give you. I always try to make sure I have a list of all of the films that I plan to watch, you know, have a schedule of if I'm doing any interviews, you know, the times I'm doing the interview, I use Google Calendar. Mm-hmm. It sends notifications to my phone. It's brilliant. I would die without Google Calendar. Uh, so plan your day in advance. Um, so that way you don't run into a situation where you miss a screening or you miss an interview or something overlaps. Um, And also just kind of give yourself time in between so you can just relax, have a chance to travel to where you need to go to the next venue, or, you know, connect and meet up with friends or whatever while you're out there. Because if you schedule a whole bunch of things back to back to back, you're likely going to find yourself in a situation where things overlap. Because Things, unfortunately, do not start on time. <laughs> My interview with Sam Esmail and Stefan James for Homecoming actually was delayed an hour. So luckily, I didn't schedule anything until a couple of hours after the interview, and I didn't miss my next screening. So yeah, that's something to think about when you're scheduling interviews. If you're a member of the press, is 
you know, make sure you leave yourself some buffer in your schedule to, uh, you know, expect right. delays. I had like a two hours between um, my Hate You Give uh, interviews with um, Russell Hornsby and George Tillman Jr. Um, so, so yeah, that that was really unexpected. And I and I I'll say, you know, leave some room if, for a nap. I mean. Those nights, I mean, I had midnight screenings, I think, about every night. Um, and, well, except for one. And, you know, just getting up, um, staying up late, and then getting up early. I needed a nap <laughs> during the day. And, you know, just having those um, windows of time in, in the schedule, I was able to catch one um, nap during the weekend. And that was, like, really, it really saved me. Um, and I, I went in as a newbie to TIFF thinking that, you know, we've got all these holes in our schedule. We can just fill it in with, you know, more movies. <laughs> I am so glad we did not do that. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm so glad. Um, you don't want to overwhelm yourself because it, it, it can be overwhelming and you can get exhausted and burnt out really quickly. So those people that say that they watch like four and five movies yeah. a day, God bless you. I don't know how you do it. Um, the most I can do is three in one day. Um, and even that's stretching it. But yeah, right. if you can do four to five movies a day. Mm-hmm go for it uh just may the force be with you um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> god bless you i really can't i mean and i think yeah like you said three tops um if you're doing like a midnight screening like on the day you're doing a midnight screening and one at the crack of dawn um then yeah, you may only want you those had, two you did the midnight um, screening for what was it predator or halloween and then you had to get next morning both to watch a star is born um so yeah i don't know why they schedule that screening so early those i don't know but there were people there that had been there there that line i wasn't in the first in the line and i i got there early so so yeah they were up earlier than i was um but yeah just um make sure that there's like gaps huge ones and if you want to i mean you can you can always add more films on the ground you can always go to um screenings uh on the ground there's several of them playing all the time there's something playing all the time all the time absolutely and get there early too especially big buzz movies like a star is born you want to get in that line super early because there can be situations where um you won't get in Mm -hmm. yeah you got a badge you have a credential but you still can't get in because they're at capacity that happened to a friend of mine last year um so you don't want to get yourself in that situation so just kind of prep yourself to get there early if it's like a big popular film that everybody's talking about. And usually you'll find that out because um, a lot of these films get a lot of buzz out of the Venice Film Festival and Telluride, which is right before TIFF. So if they play well at those festivals, you can guarantee people are going to be waiting in line to see that film because it's it's the film that everybody's talking about and they want to see it. Right. Right. The Predator line. We were like wrapped around the corner, like out in front of Ryerson, around the corner, down the street, almost to the next corner around the block um, for that one. Um, and even um, for the Hate You Give screening, I, w- I was almost to the box office, um, wrapped back around mm-hmm. in line to the box office. The lines were so long. 
Um, but that the that one you um, we had assigned seating, so yeah. um, that was fine. Um, my seat was going to be my seat no matter what. But I still got there early and was still that far back in line. So yeah, those lines are another reason to bring yeah, comfy shoes. We'll be standing um, in line for a minute. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, a water bottle. I how did I forget yes. a water bottle? Um, bring water, water. Yeah water i cannot stress because you get so parched with all the walking and talking and doing all these things make sure that it's sealed when it get get a really really i got a really really good water bottle my husband's like you're paying 15 dollars for a water bottle i'm like yeah i need this not to leak all over my stuff in my bag and i needed to keep water like really good and fresh for me like all day it was well worth it. It sealed up and it, it it did never leaked and it was always there. I mean, there were a few theaters we went to where I had to dump it out at the street because they didn't want you bringing liquids in for security reasons, but you could fill it up after you got in. Um, but other than that, I brought it everywhere. And there were times where I like that interview where I, I had one interview and I was sitting for two hours to the next. I, I couldn't leave because I, I didn't know when they were going to call me, you know, so I didn't want to run to the restaurant yeah. or anything. So I had my snacks and I had my water and, you know, it kept me from getting just, you know, so parched that I was going to just keel over. Um, so, yeah, water and water and a good water bottle. There you go. So, so. hopefully we'll see more of you guys at TIFF next year. Uh, we're really excited that the festival, you know, was super successful and that we were able to get some really great coverage on Black Girl Nerds for you. And just stay tuned to BlackGirlNerds.com. You'll see us at future festivals to come. And thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of us ranting and raving over all things TIFF. And also stay tuned for some future episodes featuring interviews that have come out of the festival. Yeah, thank you. Bye, guys. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Broadnax, MR Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify. <laughs>